You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, we're sh- we are chatting with Mr. Jeff Jenkins from Code 7. I know a lot of you guys remember that band from back in the early 2000s. Uh, such an interesting band. I know we did, like, a, I believe it was Furnace Fest together and uh, then played a bunch of random shows throughout the uh, southeast uh, over uh, back in, man, must have been 2003 or 2004. Um, but yeah, if you guys don't know that band, they're a band on Equal Vision Records. Uh, just an incredible band, really pushing the boundaries. Um, a band that started out as a heavier band and then branching out into a completely different style and took it so far. Um, I mean, Jeff is one of my favorite vocalists of all time. And when I was able to get a hold of him and... He agreed. I was absolutely stoked. And uh, yeah, we've been able to keep in touch and, and he's just an awesome dude. He sent me some uh, circuit bending stuff that he has worked on. You'll hear in the episode, he talks about being kind of a broken electronics hoarder um, in his basement. And after the episode, he said he wanted to send me something. So he did. And it's this really cool, like bird sound making uh, piece of electronics that if you hold these two nodes, um, you're chemistry and electric electrical energy or interference uh, makes them go all wacky and crazy. I don't know if you guys have seen the speak and spells that people like re 
they basically solder wires together until it does something really cool. It's like, I guess that's what's called a circuit bending. And uh, that's what he does now. So it's, it's kind of a cool hobby um, that he was able to send me something to try out. Anyway, uh, amazing band, amazing front man, um, just super charismatic, super interesting story, and has not done many interviews. And I think this was his first podcast. So uh, I know he's a little nervous in the beginning, but as usual, um, once we get started, uh, he got comfortable. So anyways, big shout out to Jeff for coming on board. And also, the Dancing Echoes Dead Sounds record has been released for the first time on vinyl through Equal Vision Records, and that came out yesterday. So when you're done with this episode or right now, head on over and order yourself a copy. I have a copy in my living room. Uh, by the record player was playing it this week. It is absolutely gorgeous. The layout uh, is is awesome. The vinyl itself is like this pink splat. It, oh my god, it's awesome. You can look it up online uh, at equalvision.com. But this record was meant to be on vinyl and it never got pressed. So now it is here. The time is now. Head on over and buy that record. It is fantastic and it's so cool to have it. Uh, immortalized on vinyl. So anyways, uh, we're releasing this episode in conjunction with that. So uh, let's get some business out of the way real quick. Peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is my email. If you need to get in touch with me, guest ideas, uh, questions, comments. Uh, I know there's a lot going on right now. So anyways, hit me up if you're interested. And uh, man, thank you for coming back week after week. It's been a busy one. But uh, yeah, Let's get into this thing. All right, here's my conversation with Jeff Jenkins from Code 7.
cool, cool. Yeah. So how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Well, as great as we can be. I would say we're in quarantine. Are you guys in quarantine over in, uh, are you in Philadelphia, right? Uh, no, I'm in uh, North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Oh, uh, Winston-Salem. That's right. Yeah. 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 And uh, they just, uh, they did the um, shelter in place thing here. So. Okay. It's it's not so bad. I got a lot of yard work done, believe it or not. So. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing the same kind of thing, man. Anything we can do to keep busy and, and uh, yeah, yard work, uh, cleaning the house, yeah, running, chasing kids around, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I have no kids, but I've got cats, and they they seem underwhelmed by the fact that we're here all the time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I want to be honest with you, Dewey. I am a newbie to uh, being interviewed. Um, I don't do very many. Yeah. I don't, it's no, no particular reason why, but, um, at the request of a couple of the guys in the band, they were interested in me doing this. And, you know, my wife is a huge Melvin's fan. And I think she had listened to previous podcasts that you'd done with a couple of those guys. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it, it is a, it is a delight. So you just tell me how this goes. Tell me, uh, what, uh, I'm going to let you lead the way. Well, you've had <laughs> you've had a conversation with people plenty of times, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. Exactly what this is. I'm just going to treat it like we're at the coffee shop. Well, sure. I don't have a <laughs> list of questions in front of me. I never do. I I did for like the first I don't know 40 or 50 episodes, and I never used them, so I stopped yeah. doing them um, because it's just I mean it's just a conversation. That's the beauty of podcast. I mean, we can talk about whatever we want. I mean, there's no. Uh, no restrictions. There's no FCC. There's no any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I've just been excited to talk to you for a long time. Like it, it, we've done, we did furnace fest 2003, uh, when you guys played and then we yeah, also yeah. did a show, uh, randomly you guys jumped on a show. Maybe it was in Winston Salem. I we, don't remember. We tended to do that a lot. Yeah. We tended to, <laughs> we, we were on tour with uh, uh, This Day Forward back when they were This Day Forward. And uh, oh, yeah. you guys jumped on a random show and Colin was telling me how badass you guys were. And he's like, dude, you got to see this singer. He's insane. And uh, apparently you guys <laughs> knew each other previously. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were huge Code 7 fans at that time. And, and uh, yeah, it was just this little bar. Uh, I just remember some weird lighting and just this weird smaller bar on the east coast i don't remember where it was but that was the first time i got to see you guys play and i was like man he wasn't kidding these guys are great and i was a fan ever since but up until i, I want to say that that was here in our hometown and it was about maybe an eighth of a mile from where i'm sitting right now i think it was at a club that's uh used to be called uh i think yeah i can't remember i think it was called a casey's or something like that Huh. And yeah, uh, now it is uh, Carlisle's bar, and okay. I'm 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 pretty sure I'd say I'm ninety percent sure that that's the show you're talking about. But yeah, um, believe it or not, that same uh, bar, uh, like maybe a year or so later, the band Mastodon played there. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, and it was like right in their infancy, from what I understand. So that's yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm speaking of furnace death. I'm super excited to find out if this thing's actually going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I saw they're bringing it back, and then they're bringing everybody back. And they they had mentioned. Uh, I got like a weird random message from one of the guys talking about uh, Anatomy of a Ghost, and and um, 
bringing them back or, or us back. And I was like, I don't think that's going to happen. I text Zach and, and uh, they're now in Portugal, the man. And, and they're like, dude, you guys can do it, but I don't think we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, dude, no sweat. But like, uh, it's so cool to see how many bands they're bringing back together. You guys included. Yeah, I mean. that's, yeah, it's super cool. I'm super excited. Um, I think that the, uh, initial response to it was, um, no, I don't really want to do this, but the truth of the matter is these guys are my best friends. We're going to be, we, I work with three of the guys on a irregular basis mm-hmm. and the, and the other guy, uh, is a local bar owner and just like one of the most magnificent, uh, entrepreneurs that this town has seen in a while. So I was thinking, you know, maybe he should focus on his bar. You know, the other guy, the Tuttles, uh, John, James, and Matt, they've all got businesses of their own. And and maybe we should just focus on, you know, like, uh, you know, when a band says we're breaking up, the my, it's my least favorite thing when they do two or three reunions. Mm-hmm. But then, then, <laughs> then, I start, then I started thinking, you know, like, what if I just tell people that Code 7 is dead, but we still continue to play shows? <laughs> and 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 the idea that um i was the 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 lone holdout for a long time uh I'm, I'm actually really delighted that i made the decision and i do hope that this thing goes forward despite all of the chaos that we've got going on in the country right now um can you still hear me pretty good my i feel oh, like yeah. my audio okay cool yeah the the process of practicing with code seven is going to be uh, really cool because technology's changed a lot since we did it the last time around and um so we've got you know john's got a lot of new gear we've got uh, a couple of ideas floating around as far as like the song lists um so yes yeah, I'm, I'm still gonna still gonna be uh, a little bit uh, you know anybody that tells you that they don't get nervous when they go on stage is lying to you and yeah, everybody gets nervous. I'm, uh, I do artist relations at a a pretty cool club here in town called the Ramcat. Um, and we've had, you know, like so many great guests there, but there's this moment right before my favorite time of the night too. Like there's this moment right before the artist goes onto the stage that you feel this like, kind of like, uh, energy this palpable energy that's in the air mm-hmm. they ha- they have to have everything right and part of basically my job there at the club is to make sure that everything that the artist wants goes goes that way for example um you know like there was a guitarist uh and his thing was he had several open tunings in his guitar so i basically just shut down one of the dressing rooms so that this guy for the entire night could use it. He was the guitarist. He, he was, it was a duo mm-hmm. and he used that room to set up all of his guitars, get them acclimatized, you know, like, you know, the specific way that he wanted them to sound because I knew that that was the most important. I could see it in his face that that was the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, right before he goes on, I could just tell everything was in its right place and everything was good for him. So that, led to the most amazing show. And I really think that it was one of the best shows that we've had at the club, but there's this, this energy that's in the air right before you go on. So 
who's to say how I'll be at Furnace Fest five minutes before Code 7 is supposed to play? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool because I mean, so you sense that that wasn't in their writer or anything that was or their their no, uh, they're, they're, that's something you sensed about him. Yeah, they're okay. I'll tell you who it was. Um, and I hope that nobody tags anything because I mean, I, it was a great show. It was Dave Rollins and Gillian Welch. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No, I'm uh, not. Con- 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 uh, sort of a country alt Americana. Um, okay. She was on the Old Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack. Okay, and that's Dave a Rollins one. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave Rollins is like her guitarist, and you know he had several of these. Like we're talking about, like national guitar, and like you know, not specifically. I don't, I don't know the specifics of guitar names that he had, but like there were a lot of different things that he needed to make sure were in their right place with those guitars. And I, I can just remember so many times being on tour that there would, there might have been something that we needed, guitarists needed, and it was, there was always a matter of. We have to run to Guitar Center to get this guy to set this up for us, mm-hmm. or we have to find this mom and pop shop here in town that will replace this tube in one of our amps. And I started thinking, you know, like that's one of the great things about the club that I work. There are so many people there that are passionate about putting on a live performance. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't ask for a better team as far as like the people that we have on board there. And and getting, you know, getting the show to run the right way is it it's not as hard as it sounds. You know what I mean? A lot of people are just the best bands are usually the bands that show up and know everybody in the whole entourage knows their role. And, you know, one of my regrets being in code seven was that I don't think I understood my role very well in the way that we had, you know, three brothers in the band. There was that dynamic. And then, you know, we, we all had our independent uh, ways of thinking that Code 7 should appear or Code 7 should sound. And in the bigger picture, I should have been more of a, uh, a communal worker for the band rather than this front man. And I really regret that. So um, I think a lot of times I knew that I just wanted to be a mate. But when you put a microphone in a jackass's hand, he's just going to do something crazy. <laughs> Well, I, I want to jump back real quick to something because talking about, you know, what you did for, for the guitar player, like setting up that room and stuff, something you sensed about him. Have you have you do you feel like you have a pretty solid, um, uh, you know, some people think they can they can uh, 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 like I'm not talking like premonitions or anything, but are really in tune to other people like they're the. Empathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you always been that way? I'm a social butterfly, I guess. Uh, okay. I like to just float around and make make connections with people. So I don't know specifically, you know, I believe my wife is, I really do. I think she's got an incredible intuitive ability, but there's this notion that you, you wear your emotions on your sleeve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I I think more people do that than they recognize do it. And because this particular touring entourage, they were staying at a hotel Mm -hmm. and he didn't have a tech with them. He was the tech. And I know how, like how difficult that might be to make sure that everyone else that's in the the touring entourage is running around. Maybe you need a little bit of privacy to yourself to get. And I could just tell. I mean, I think that there's a lot that went a lot of times when artists play there. I'll give you a good example. Um, Terminator X from Public Enemy. 
mm-hmm. uh, he he performed there, um, formerly formerly a public enemy. He performed there, and when he showed up, he had just one guy with him, and the guy was his manager, and he was he was really they were just incredible, really nice. But his manager tells me, you know, ex's wife is going to be coming into town uh, from the airport. She's getting an Uber here, and she's just flown in. Um, just so you know, let her, you know, if she comes to the backstage area, just let her in. So I could tell just by knowing that Terminator X was really sort of like anxious to see his wife. I just set an entire room up for her. She, I came back there at one point throughout the night and she was taking a nap back there and I just felt so good. I was like, these people aren't at home, but they should have a place where they can feel like they can be at home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for, for the idea of, of that, I just, I really, I, I would appreciate it if I were on the other end. I know that there were so many opportunities that code seven had where people were nice to us. So I think in a lot of ways, this is just me, um, at my current job, just thinking that's what I would want. You know what I mean? I, if, mm-hmm. if my wife came, came to a show and she had flown in, I know she might be tired and my whole performance tonight doesn't really matter. Just her well being is all that matters. So by the way, Terminator X got up there and just nailed it. He was awesome. It was great. Yeah. It was just magnificent. So, all um, with the but, world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, but I could, I could tell, uh, a lot of times when someone is not in that frame of mind, or if you have someone that's in the touring entourage that doesn't need to be there, a lot of times that throws everybody's vibe off. And I guess that's what I mean by, you know, everybody in Code 7 knowing their role. I think that we had, you know, an opportunity to, to be independent uh, of each other. But it's very difficult to do that when you're in a 15-passenger van driving 150 miles to uh-huh. wherever, you know. And um I like seeing bigger touring packages come through at the place where I work because everybody has room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if they're if they're in a bus, that's all the more reason for me to make the backstage area like a home for them, you know? Yeah. Because they can't they're not staying at a hotel tonight. They're staying on that bus and they can't rightfully feel like they can, you know, like be at home when they're, you know, sort of like bouncing around in, in one of these bunks. So yeah, I like it uh, whenever a touring package comes through and they do feel comfy back there. They have everything that they need. They get to take showers. That's a good good feeling at the end of the night. Sure. And you've been there. So, you know, I mean, you know these things. We you never know took showers. Like. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't either. Good Lord. But yeah, the 15 passenger van touring. And I mean, that's a that's a luxury in itself, having a 15 passenger versus a 12 and uh, or a conversion van. But yeah, uh, yeah. you've been there. Yeah. Well, tell me, tell me, see, here's the thing, Jeff, I don't know hardly anything about you except your musical contribution to the world. Like, that's what was so exciting about doing this is, is for the first time in a long time, talking to someone I don't know much about, um, you know, which there's not a lot out there. And I don't do a ton of research either because I like it to be just a natural conversation. But I'm I'm genuinely curious. Kind of, I mean, did you grow up in Winston, Winston, Salem? Yes. Yes. So you're um, living in the same town you grew up in. Um, yeah, it's, uh, different, different parts, uh, it's part called Ardmore and it's great. It's just an average neighborhood. Uh, James from code seven lives right across the street from me. So, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he and his wife are expecting, so that's the big news. 
Excellent. So, yeah. Um, well, I got married in 2010 um, to my wife, Jamie. Right after our marriage, uh, within a day or two, we began the last tour that we did as Code 7 with Animals as Leaders, Dredge, and headlined by Circus of Five. Mm-hmm. And that was like a week after I got married. So I knew that she was the one for me whenever um, they asked, you know, the guys in Code 7 said, hey, do you want to do this tour? By the way, it starts the day that you get home from your honeymoon. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, So uh, in a lot of ways, James is walking across the street now. There he goes. Anyway, um, in a lot of ways, uh, there was – this idea that the honeymoon for Jamie was the opportunity to go on tour with us two weeks after we went out, you know, like two weeks after she joined the tour, toured around with us for maybe two weeks, I think, and then came back home as we completed the next two or three weeks of the tour. Uh But that she says that was her honeymoon. But for me, it was definitely Jamaica. I I loved uh, that. We, we went to Jamaica, uh, right after we got married and it was the most beautiful place on earth. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm glad that she got to experience that with me because I feel like it was a, in a lot of ways, code seven didn't really know that it was going to be our last tour. But then again, we, we were just, you know, we were happy to have the opportunity to perform with our amazing friends. You know, they, they're the ones that put us, where we exist, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that, that was a great opportunity to, to be touring with some of our best friends. So that's an incredible lineup too. I know the dredge guys fairly well and and the circuit guys, of course, very well, but, um, none none of the animals as leaders guys, but man, what, what a guitar heavy tour. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Oh, by the way, yeah, by the way, I was, uh, completely obsessed with circuit bending at the time and I still am. But I I can't believe I did what I did. I took an entire circuit bending workshop out on the road with me for that tour. <laughs> um, that was that was pretty amazing. I had an entire portion of the back of our trailer. I can't believe they let me do that. Where we kept our luggage and everything. Uh-huh. I ke- I kept all my circuit bank gadgetry and like soldering irons. I just I guess I was thinking I would set up some kind of circuit makeshift circuit bending workshop out on the road somewhere when we were on that tour. <laughs> Just on a whim. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, pack light. We're going <laughs> to, I'm taking over this. Pack bedroom. light. We're going to go to the thrift store and buy some old Casios. That's yeah. That it. was that. That was, that was uh, another thing I was going to mention when you ask who I am. I'm really into, um, I'm really into the world of sound. And when we came off the road the first time around, I really got interested in, or number one, I was living in a different city. I was living about 30 minutes away. And the rest of the guys had a band called Telescreen. And they started doing more and more shows with Telescreen. And I started kind of like uh, hiding away in a, at a little workbench uh, behind my house in Greensboro, where I was living at the time. And just began breaking everything that I could that was a piece of electronics. Like when we came off the tours, I, I think I was so frustrated by the fact that I wasn't able to fix something that might have gone wrong when we were out on the road that we had to go to a guitar, you know, repair shop and have them take a look at what it was. So I got really frustrated with the fact that I was unable to 
diagnose what problems might be as far as electronics go. So I started getting into hacking old electronic gadgets and making them do things that they don't normally do. And that's that would explain the state of my basement at the current moment. Like oh, no. strewn <laughs> with uh, different noise-making mechanisms and most of them don't work. <laughs> so you're 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 hoarding like not hoarding but hoarding like I guess hoarding's the word. Oh yeah, it's hoarding. Dewey, Dewey, let's not lie to ourselves here. <laughs> Just to see. So what what got you fascinated in the world of sound? Like what what sparked that in you? It couldn't have been the this electronic gadget stuff. It had to start earlier than that. I don't know. It's weird. You know, when you're a kid and you like press your fingers into one ear and then press the other ear up against the side of your refrigerator. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot about that notion that I think I'm like connecting with primarily like the, the idea that something might have a, like a resonant frequency that I think, Ooh, that's pretty. Or someone might say something. I'll give you a good example. Uh, the other day I heard, um, someone stutter and then say a few words. And I thought that would be a really cool, like, like rhythm if, if, just that natural pattern of the way this person was speaking. That cadence. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. And and there are so many times where I'll hear something and I'll say, that is just absolutely beautiful. That sounds so pretty. And, you know, like, I think that on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's some sounds that can be incredibly unsettling and, and to the point of where they're like this dorky and <laughs> register of... of a frequency that is just either really low and and making you feel uneasy or or just maybe so low that you can't even audibly hear the presence of the note, but you can feel it in your bone structure. Mm-hmm. And I started really getting into those things. I mean, I, I guess since I was a kid, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's something about the magic of, of things that are supposed to make noise that when they're present – even if you're not really tuned into them, mm-hmm. they'll put you in a certain frame of mind. And like, you know, there's certain, certain birds that sing around the neighborhood. And for sometimes, you know, like I'll, I'll remember, Hey, that was the same type of bird that I would hear as a kid in my own front yard. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. that's, that, and, and the world of sound, I guess that's just, something that I've always been interested in. I don't know if that answers your question. I'm not trying to be philosophical. I'm really, really going down. (laughs) No, this is good because this is something I've done. What a hundred and this is like a hundred and episode 140 or something like that. I've never had anyone bring that up the world of sound and, and kind of break things down. So like we all have those, those memories, I'm sure growing up, like you were talking about putting your ear against the refrigerator, plugging one ear for me, it was, uh, when I would take a bath and I was, I was smaller, I'm, I can't fit in a bathtub now hardly, but, um, I would, I would roll down. So I was under the water and it, so everything would be like in a glass, you know, like we're in a, in a, in a bucket almost sounding. And some days, uh, I would get water in my ears and I wouldn't be able to get it out, but I'd be so frustrated because everything was muffled and sounded so weird by the time that water finally got out of my ears like there's just that one moment it kind of clears up it was weird i almost had this 
uh, feeling that I wanted to go back because certain sounds didn't sound the same anymore. Like I was frustrated because I couldn't hear the clarity, but other things actually sounded better that way. Yeah. It was this yeah. weird connection. Yeah. But that's what connected with what you were saying with me because, uh, I mean, literally no one has brought up, you know, the, the world of sound, you know, like these little, these little things, um, like Bjork, are you a Bjork fan? Yes. yes. So, so like Vespertine, that album she made where she took tiny, uh, tiny sounds and yeah, boosted the them up. Yeah. 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 I mean, things like that, you just don't think about every day. Like right now, there's birds chirping in the background, which is actually really pleasant. <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting in the backyard. And, uh, you know, it's just an interesting thing to tie that together with, with uh, you know, the world of sound. And, and, I mean, were you already – did you have a musical family? Like, did, were, you, were your parents listening to music and stuff while you were going through this kind of, like, figuring this stuff out? Um, my mom tells me this really interesting story and I don't know if it's true or not, but she said that when I was in utero that she would put on the Sony hi-fi headphone speakers and put them on her belly and play Jimi Hendrix. And I really do think that there's something about the music of Jimi Hendrix that to me, I can hear a millisecond of it from across a parking lot in somebody's car mm -hmm. and I can tell that is Hendrix, you know, like, wow. I know. I, I mean, I don't know that that's true. But that's the reason. Um, but I think there is a lot about sounds that can like shape a person's uh, destiny, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll give you a good example. Um, James Jamerson from what, Motown fame, he's a famous bass player back in the, 60s or whatever he apparently would when he was a kid he was so poor that he would take a string and put it on the ground and put his foot on it and pull it sort of tied up against his ear and then press it against his ear and strum like strum it mm -hmm. and he could hear the different bass notes from from the different amount of tension on that bass and i just started thinking geez that's the guy that wrote the bass line for my girl mm -hmm. or heard it to the grapevine you know what i mean yeah that's that's got to have something to do with the fact that at an early age it was this notion that with this you know this uh resonant frequency it really brings me joy or it really brings me happiness so i think mm -hmm. that that's and and that could explain you know like a lot about the reason why i feel i'm interested in sound is because like when i was a kid i used to do weird stuff i used to take an old headphone speaker and I discovered like the principle behind the talk box this way. I was like, whoa, when I'm playing and I'm taking this old headphone speaker and I'm putting it in my, my mouth and playing Led Zeppelin on my Walkman, I can hear like the frequency that resonates in a talk box. You know what I mean? Like uh -huh. that was like, and, and I can remember taking old speakers apart when I was a kid and like running a battery against the two poles and just hearing it crackle. So I'd take different pieces of tinfoil and I'll hook one of the leads to the speaker, one of the leads to the battery, and the other piece, the other two pieces to the tinfoil. And I would just rake one of the pieces across the tinfoil. And it would make this really awesome static crunch in the speaker that would just like, I don't know, it would just get under my skin and make me feel so like, wow, I've just discovered this weird, unnatural sound. You know? mm -hmm. so, so maybe that explains why I'm so into circuit bending too, is, you know, a lot of it's, the fact that I love to break things when I was a kid, 
<laughs> do the is there sounds that that uh i mean do you think sound affects memory and uh i mean like oh, what you're talking about with yeah. with hendrix i can't remember i think it was the moog documentary where they were talking about certain people feeling i don't know how you feel about this stuff either but um like i'm not a religious person at all i believe in energy and i believe that that uh you know uh, what they're talking about is people like Hendrix and stuff where you can, when they, when they basically came up with amplification uh, that you could actually put energy through, you know, not just strumming. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you, absolutely. You hear absolutely. I'm talking about. Okay. I do. So I, I can, I, I, I do. I, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's why when you said Hendrix hearing it from, I mean, that energy to a baby in, in utero could cause some serious, like, uh, uh, damage, damage, <laughs> but sense memories and stuff like that, you know, like before you can really recall what's going on, uh, you know, where you just all of a sudden, but you know it like subconsciously yeah. or something, like it's just this magnet, like it's such a, such a cool concept. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, that, you know, like, I don't want to, again, go to the whole philosophical thing, but like, you know, you play classical music for babies. Maybe, you know, that's, that's something that would make them smarter. But like for, for me, it was just this idea that like, you know, like sound, uh, it leaves an imprint. Um, I believe that a lot of sound works the same way that perhaps say a haunted house works. Like if someone has this memory of something either really uh, traumatic or else I'll just say really impacting happening, happening to them, it could leave a physical imprint on something. So like um, maybe my mom was just in a really great mood. I was really in tune with my mom while I was in her belly, you know, something like that. Mixed with the fact that she's listening to some of her, the most like amazing music ever, some of her favorite music. She listened to a lot of Motown, by the way. That's the reason I'm a, I'm a huge Motown guy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like, um, you know, she would play that for for me. This is all from from her telling me. You know, I can't tell you how many times she did it or how often she did it. But there is something that is happening there that's like an imprint. And like, you know, that's maybe like in a haunted house or something. Whenever something really traumatic happens, or something, somebody does something a certain number of times just as, as repetition, maybe at least sort of this like uh, residual imprinting. Mm. And I think that's kind of what sound has done for me. It's, it's, you know, definitely just made me very interested in pursuing other ways that I can imprint on myself and other people, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you discovered you know, have you discovered new ways to to imprint on yourself? And then my, my other thought with this is, has anything ever happened to you that sounds been associated with that terrifies you? That maybe like has the opposite. It doesn't create wonder uh, or intrigue, yes. but it like, no, yeah. like, never again. Yeah. The, the one thing that I knew that uh, the energy inside of some of these gadgets that I was tinkering with was something that had definitely operated on a completely different molecular level was there was this time where I had this machine that I knew was completely dead. I had drained all the electrons from it and it was a delay pedal. And when I plugged it back in, it was playing the same loop that it had played the last time around that I had what? been dicking around with because I recognized my guitar tone. Yeah. And I was like, there's absolutely no physical way 
that that could have happened. So even if it were, you know, still some charge left in one of these capacitors that was still charging a certain part of the IC board, that thing was fucking dead. It was completely gone. I was about to throw it in the trash. But then discovered, hey, there's an input that's not grounded here. So maybe if I do that, and I just ended up bringing the thing slowly over a period of a couple of weeks back to life. Mm-hmm. When that happened, I knew, I was like, well, there's something very weird going on with, with the way that we interact with machines. Yeah. And I guess, I guess the other thing is um, my wife is a Reiki master teacher. You're familiar with Reiki. I am. Yeah. I have and a few friends so, that, that their partners practice it as well. Uh-huh. So I was working at a bookstore at the time, and this is when Code 7 was not on the road, but I was really, it was out in Greensboro, and I was really getting into hacking things and trying to repair things for my friends, being happy at the times that I was successful at it and working tirelessly, like overnight, the times that I wasn't successful at it. Well, one of my friends had given me a Juno synthesizer, and I knew I was just like, the man, this thing is way over my head. I don't know if I'm going to be able to screw around with it or not. But, mm-hmm. Um I had taken apart, and this was actually right about the same time that I was building a little workbench. So it was maybe about a year or two into the process of trying to learn this realm of, you know, small end electronics and stuff, pro sound stuff. Anyway, um, I could not figure out what the hell was wrong with this dude's gadget, man. And it was just, it was so complicated. There were thousands and thousands of capacitors, and I went through with my multimeter so many times over just trying to find the right one, trying to do it in the right order from from to the grounds to the leads and, and I couldn't find out what was going on. And my wife was just beginning to do Reiki at the time and she was just like, you know, I wasn't telling her about this specific problem that I was having, but like I don't think that she was very into the the geekiness of capacitors and transistors and mm-hmm. you know so I, I didn't really mention to her hey i've got chuck's juno and i can't fix it so it's really weighing on my mind hard but she knew she had known that i'd spent a couple of like i'd been working on this one thing for weeks and she's just like at dinner one night she was just like i want to try reiki and i was like that you know that's cool and she's she said something to me she was just like you're going to sleep really good tonight so Dewey, she did the Reiki, and yeah, I felt awesome. That's cool. It's also, I really love my wife, so anything that she does or says is just sort of magical to me anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so that night, you know, we do a regular routine, and I actually lay down to try to go to bed, try to get some sleep after, you know, this bout with insomnia. Worried that I promised this guy that I could fix his gadget. I mean, I put, not that I put my reputation on the line or anything, but it's like I gave him the impression, yeah, I can fix any fucking thing. And I couldn't fix it. So I was just like, you know, deciding I was going to get some sleep this one night. And I tossed and turned and started thinking about it. I was just like, I'm going to go out there and try it one more time. And I went back outside and I fucking found the input capacitor that was blown. And I couldn't fucking believe it. And I was just like, no way that my wife literally less than two hours ago tried Reiki on me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, now I've got his keyboard fixed. <laughs> so, That's amazing. And, yeah, I did. I did uh, promise myself I was never going to work on one of those Junos ever again after that. (laughs) (laughs) So, but yeah, but since then I've been keeping it like pretty straightforward. I found the, the gadgets that I like to circuit in the most and they're, 
usually any of the Casio SK5 series, you can do some really magical stuff with those. Mm -hmm. And there's, it's when people say it's like going down a rabbit hole, it's literally an endless amount of sounds that you can get out of some of these gadgets. And no two things are going to be the same way twice. And when I started doing like noise shows and circuit bending shows and stuff, I was really into the, the improvisational thing. And, you know, I learned a lot from doing that. I'm like, man, it's important to have at least a piece of framework when improvising anything, you know? Yeah. So mm -hmm. especially it, it, it keeps you from wasting your audience's time if you have What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Greetings from Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure 
our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the past cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest. Uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. A few things, a few ideas, or in the case of these circumventing and noise shows that I was doing at the time a few gadgets that I can really rely on to make some really cool sounds. Yeah. Like tent poles. Like we got, we got like, um, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so, I mean, well, that brings me to this then, because I mean, with, with your, uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a fascinating experience because the, the, the Reiki into solving this problem, like, who knows, who knows if it was that, who knows if it was just, you know, you went out that next time and tried it, you know, there's a lot, a lot to, to, uh, look I at feel, there. But. Yeah. I feel like the, um, the, the, the process was definitely linked to the Reiki because she, you know, like she'd never tried it before on me. Mm -hmm. And I won't say that I was skeptical, but you know, at the same time, like I said, just about anything that my wife does is, is really cool she's a cool chick and and it made me feel like hey there's there's some correlation between the two but yeah, yeah. it was yeah sort of magical i feel like i've had a lot of other opportunities like that to experience stuff like that you know whether or not it's with headphones whether or not the record button is, is pressed <laughs> or whether or not it's just something that was kind of fleeting like i said with the the cadence of that person's speech that was like wow that's a really beautiful way to put that it sounded like it could almost be a living yeah, that's it. You have a really fascinating way of looking at things, Jeff. Like I, I'm really intrigued because of the, I mean, just the little things you you pull out and look at. You know, like I talk to a lot of people, and 
and have a lot of conversations and and uh, I mean there's certain things that like stand out or or like you know but it's it, a lot of it's pretty typical stuff where you're really digging into you know certain spots that a lot of people don't dig into I mean what do you do you um I'll ask you this this is something I don't usually even talk about because I don't I don't know how I feel on it either but like uh, with talking about energies and and these things, especially with the electronics. I mean, do you believe in like the paranormal or that we're uh, oh, that we're alone yeah. or 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 not alone or like what what's um, your thoughts on that? Um, I, you know, I really feel like I've always been into that too. Do you remember the? Um, I'm going to date myself here, but do you remember the Time Life books, Mysteries of the Unknown? I do. They, yeah, yeah. That that you know, it's something about that when I was a kid. It used to really, really creep me out. And, you know, like I can't say, I think it was one time that I saw a ghost, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, and be this. <laughs> what was that last part? I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I think there was one time that I saw a ghost, but that was, you know, just it's like I said, it was, that was a fleeting experience. It was definitely not uh, expected. And at the same time, like, you know what? It, it what's to say that that it, it, it wasn't an actual piece of uh, scientifically explained residual energy that was laying over in this certain area where I happened to be and happened to catch this visual of 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 this person? You know that looked like they were going through their daily routine when I saw them. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the other thing too, bringing back to Furnace Fest is—is is, did you ever go in those furnaces with like a digital Dude, camera? I don't know if I was one of the first people, but Dewey, it's so great that you bring that up because I don't know if I was one of the first people to go down there because I know that they had several shows there prior to the Furnace Fest happening. But yes, I did. <laughs> I went down there the, the the few times that we played there. I went down there. I don't think I actually, now that you mentioned that, I don't think that I went down there the second time around. But yeah, I just remember how great and cold and dark it was. And uh-huh. it was just the most awesome experience. And yes, I did have a digital recorder with me at the time. Man, we had, I'm trying to think, John had, John had a digital camera and he was like taking pictures without any flash to see if anything came up on the, on the pictures. And he dropped his camera down the thing and was able to find it the next day and didn't have, I mean, there wasn't anything there, but people would talk about how you could find, uh, if you went in without a, you know, a flash and just started taking pictures, you'd start to, you could sometimes catch things. Yeah. Uh, That stuff's just so weird to me. I can't put my right mind around it yeah yeah I think, you know if, if if you're trying to catch something um i think it's it's important to remember that it, it might just be i'm sorry the wind is blowing is, is the audio still cool yeah you're, you're okay, going cool. you're going kind of in and out not not in a bad way but it does get a little quieter at some times and then louder at others so like um that's cool I'm but it's in I'm going to take my coffee and move around the backside of the house anyway. But yeah, I think if you're trying to get something, you probably won't. But if it just so happens to be one of those little random things, like, you know, I've, I've heard of folks that, that will go on ghost hunts and take, you know, like thousands and thousands of pictures constantly. Mm-hmm. And they'll find one particular thing. Hey, that looks like a face. But that phenomenon of uh, pareidolia is what it's called. When you think that you see a face in a naturally occurring image, for example, um, a patch of clovers in, in the grass, you'll say, hey, that looks like a guy's face. 
Yeah, or a cloud or something like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. pareidolia exists, and I totally. It's funny that we were speaking about sound before because I totally feel like pareidolia, or a a form of pareidolia. That I don't think you could even call it pareidolia, but it would be. I do. I totally believe that that exists in the world of sound as well, not just the world of of the visual, but the world of the audio as well. Because there are so many times that I'll turn on my faucet in the sink. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my bathroom, I'm like, whoa, that sounds just like Jacob from Converge. I'm like, whoa, that's really crazy. <laughs> yes. And and I'll call my wife and I'm like, hey, that sounds like the singer of Converge. And she's like, oh my God, it does. And so I think that there are things that are in the world of sound that you can catch and that's just by chance. So yeah, um, if, if you're in a haunted house and you're looking for something, you can find it if you want to find it. But otherwise, it's probably just a naturally occurring phenomenon, you know? Sure. Yeah, I get that. With I get deja vu a lot. And uh, that's stuff like that. Yeah, it all kind of ties together. Where it's like, was I actually, did I already do this one? You know, like I, you go all back to, what is it, Nietzsche that, that talks about there's a finite uh a finite number of, of uh, molecules in the universe or whatever that so uh, it's possible that things can repeat themselves or something. It's some way, I was in college studying briefly philosophy where he was talking about the odds of things being, you know, even whole existences happening twice to where because of the finite amount of, of molecules in, in whatever. So like, and I'm talking on a very basic uh, elementary level on this because I didn't dig very far into it, but um, that idea always creeped me out. How you know it's doomed to repeat itself and maybe all in the exact exact same way over and over again. Some yeah. weird concepts. Yeah, yeah. But well, um, you know the the um the idea that there's a a piece of my brain that is able to retain certain traces electronically it's doing it with electrical impulses so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sure i'm sure that that has also some uh bearing on the world of electronic sounds you know yeah um and and when you look at it and stripping everything down to like the series of vibrations that exists everywhere yeah some of those vibrations they they, they've got to occur again and again and again you know so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's so strange. I mean, it's just such an interesting view on, on, on sound. This is really refreshing because it's, I mean, for those of us lucky enough to be able to hear and feel sound, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's all encompassing, you know, it's always going. I don't, have you ever done one of those sensory deprivation tanks? Those floats? Yeah. You know, I did it in my room at uh, a house that's, Code 7 used to live at a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I just blacked out all the windows and I just sat there and, you know, you hold on to something for a while. But I wasn't in a tank. I think that the movie Altered States really fucked me up from ever trying that. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I, yeah, that movie was really, really, really super creepy. But, um, yeah, the, the, the human mind to go and, and have this, you know, like, inward journey, I feel like that should be required for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. especially the chaotic world that we live in right now, there's something to be said for a little quiet meditation every once in a while. Yeah. 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 Do you, do you, um, uh, do you along like, like Colin, like along lines of Colin, um, do you d- experiment with, with uh, psychedelics or anything like that? Or, or are you, um, not into that? Well, stuff? um, I did, uh, in my younger years, but, as of now, I don't think that there is a uh, 
schools feel like there's a place for it and um, ability to handle uh, the inward journey. You know what I mean? Like, I think I can get there if I need to get there where it's a place of bliss that makes me happy. Um, but I'm totally uh, supportive and an advocate of psychotropic journey that everybody likes to go on every once in a while. I smoke a lot of weed, you know, that's about as much as I do. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really think that um, I've had a psychedelic trip since maybe early 2000. Oh, okay. Are you, uh, did you shift? I hang the- out with a lot of people that do. Yeah. Did you, did real quick, did you switch positions? I can hardly hear you now. I, Oh, well, yes, I did. Oh, Let's try you. this again. Oh, awesome. That's way better. Let's try this again. So I, I got all that. It was just very, it was very low, but, um, uh, you said Dude, the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. This is the biggest faux pas in podcast history. I'm really screwing this up. I'm trying to find the place. Are you there? I'm here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm really trying to find the place where I can get the quiet reception. I think it is in the front yard, but yeah, like, um, it was in the early 2000s and it was, um, I think the last thing I did was mushrooms, probably. Yeah. And and you know that, that, that journey that you can take with the addition of chemical compounds and things like that is cool, but I really don't. It's, it's cool if you're into that, but I'm not into it anymore. Sure. And I like the when you consider that there are. Yeah, I think I lost you again, Jeff. Okay. Yeah, I think that there are certain things that are happening that are all I hear, I all I hear is it's kind of like you're in a tin can. I can't hear you very well. Okay, how about now? Sounds like you're really far away from your. How about now? That's way better. Okay, so way sorry. better, way better. Okay, I didn't catch anything you just said after that. But basically, uh, I was what what I was saying. Um, and again, I apologize to your listeners. No They're problem. Probably ag- this is agonizing. Jeez. <laughs> um, there are so many things that are going down in the world that I wouldn't want to be there uh, in that frame of mind where I'm peaking uh, from this psilocybin trip. Yeah. And yeah. and I have to deal with something that is a real world circumstance, you know? Yeah. So that's the reason that I just they're cool if you like to do them, but they don't have a place in my body anymore. So. Gotcha. OK. I was just curious because that's it's, it seems like um, something that's coming more to the forefront now with with um, experimenting with senses and, and everything as everyone's becoming more aware of their the, what they can open up. And, and uh, it's just a I've never done it myself, so I, I don't I don't uh, uh, have necessarily an opinion on either direction. But um, that was something I was curious about, too, because of all your I mean, you're very your senses are very strong, like your 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 um, your grasp of, of, you know, from what I'm gathering from our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I I appreciate it. I believe everyone, you know, including yourself has the opportunity to reach uh, the level that they're, they're seeking. But at the same time, um, some, 
you know, I think drugs have their place in our culture, but I don't think that everyone should take drugs. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, and if you're trying to tell me that you have to take a certain drug to to reach a certain state, then you know, maybe maybe ayahuasca is is the the drug that you should be taking because you know there are so many things that you can experience while you go through this sort of traumatic buildup to this place of ecstasy. Um, I, I think that you can it it's it's totally possible, but it's yeah. just not my particular desire to take the drug and you know go through that process. So. Gotcha. Well, there's something I I wanted to ask you about specifically, Jeff, and this is this is um, this is the, I, I should have maybe started off this way because I this is how I was introduced to Code Seven, and it was very it was the one of the weirdest things I've ever like. It was just random and weird. Uh, it was at Furnace Fest, so that I had not heard of you guys before Furnace Fest. We're at the merch table, and this, uh, I forget who it was in the band, uh, came up to me and put down The Rescue uh, on, on CD and said, check this check this band out. The singer was abducted by aliens. And I, I said, what <laughs> are you talking about? And that's all they said. Check this out. The singer was abducted by aliens. And I was like, Okay. And so of course we went and played it in the van that night and so and it was a great record. But I didn't hear the first records before that. And I I that was like my socialization to to Code Seven was that experience right there. And I was like, what is this guy talking about? And then uh I'd always heard things after that, like rumblings and stuff, and I was curious and you don't have to talk about it, but what was was that was that a rumor? Was that something that was spread as like a uh like j- dive into that if you would otherwise and it's cool yeah, if you yeah, want yeah. to but i'm really curious no 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 dewey i'll do anything now because you and i have never spoken before like we've been played shows but we never actually talked so i never got to I'll ask answer. i will answer any question now uh because we've got great sound quality i'm just so excited about that so. <laughs> um uh yeah we had a weird experience when we were all living together uh there was some missing time i don't know for a fact but i do remember being uh, in the room with something else that was present that I knew was not a ghost. And I knew also had the, you know, had the, had the upper hand, I guess, uh, with the, the, the psychic, uh, I guess you could say the psychic upper hand, but it wasn't anything, you know, incredibly out of the ordinary. I was never taken on a spaceship. I was never. And uh, that's it. Yeah. That's, that was, I'm, in any rumors of, of me being abducted by aliens are probably just because I am extremely fascinated with the, uh, with the idea that there were and probably still are uh, things that we were seeing in the sky. We would see things in the sky on such a frequent basis that we were beginning to think that it was following us. And um, me in particular, I saw my first one probably in 1997 and it was, it was like an orange orb. And you know, you, you'd mentioned, uh, psychedelic drugs. Yeah. 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 Uh, the guy that I was living with at the time, um, we went to go visit his mom and his little sister uh, in the house where he grew up. Well, you know, like a couple of weeks prior to, I think we had tripped on acid or something like that. And, our experience, no matter what it turned out to be that night, 
could have easily been invalidated by the fact that we had taken hallucinogenic drugs within the short frame of time before having experienced what we were about to experience. Mm -hmm. Well, basically, we saw these two orange orbs. We were sitting in his driveway, probably in my truck, and we saw these two orbs come up over the tree line and they were dropping little things out of the bottom and they were orange. And from where they were, they probably were about this uh, over the trees because we could see that they were getting close to us and they could have possibly been about the size of a beach ball, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they were just dropping these little, little shoots of light out the bottom of each one of these two. And they were both moving perfectly, perfectly still and positioned with each other. And they were moving so erratically, like they would stop every few minutes. And I can remember the conversation with Cliff, my friend who experienced it with me. I can remember the conversation was like, do you see that? Yeah, I see that. Do you see that? Oh, my God. Are we really watching this? And, you know, I kind of evolved into that. And the creepiest part about all of this is that, you know, like – Cliff and I, I think we've joked about it over the years. It's like, they're following you. No, they're following you, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And his little sister comes to the door. Now, she must have been like all of like 11 or 12. And the creepiest thing that I've ever heard any child say, you know, you got that like creepy thing that a kid can say, uh-huh. um, opens the, the front door to the screen door and says, Mom, those things are back. And what? that was like, whoa, we're really experiencing this. So that was cool because, yes, we had taken hallucinogenic drugs. But the fact that his mother and his little sister were there to witness it with us, uh-huh. that was really that was really cool. Now, we stayed out there maybe till like four or five in the morning until these things, they got really close to the ground. And they were over – I know that they were about as close to the ground as like maybe – I'd say maybe a hundred yards off the ground, perhaps, but but that's what I mean. This was not a commercial aircraft. This was in the days before drones existed. So, uh-huh. also, I think that any kind of um, any kind of drone is going to need some other kind of like mechanism for moving around. It just can't be a perfect orb, you know. Yeah, and that's what that's what these things were. So, um, since then, yeah, we have seen. Multiple things with multiple bands out on the road back then, you know, we would see them a lot. But like, um, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, Dewey. I'm just not really looking for them anymore mm-hmm. because I've kind of settled at this place of where now any experience that I have, not only can it be chalked up to being a weather balloon like all the other experiences were chalked up to being, but now I have to contend with you know, these small and non-commercial drones that could be flying around, mm-hmm. creating a, creating an optical experience, which leads someone to believe that, hey, that's a UFO. So, yeah, I'm not really as interested in it as I used to be, I guess. Yeah, but we, yeah. we experienced no fewer than like, you know, 20 or 30 times where we were with someone else and they would say, oh, my God, are you guys seeing this? And... You know, like I really get into the idea that there's this psychology that's happening, this like it's a sociological experiment to to have an experience with someone that is sort of a metaphysical thing where you're seeing something otherworldly that you can't explain. And then within like five minutes of having that experience, the entire conversation just changes back to the mundane and you go back to talking about, you know, like my dinner with Dave or, or whatever, you know, yeah. and, and, and the experience is lost. And, and that to me, that explains a lot of why it's so disheartening for me 
and always has been to try to explain to people, hey, are, are you, I hear you're all about aliens. And I'm like, yeah, I, I probably would be if I had seen them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, so, you talked about lost time the, and something in the room. Was, was it in the room yeah, that with was, you? Like, that was that's, weird. Yeah, that was really weird. I don't, I don't want to say that I'm uncomfortable to talk about that. But oh, okay. it, involves, it, it involves other members of Code 7 that I don't know for a fact they would like for me to share all the aspects of the story. And I know it's a podcast and, and no holds barred kind of thing. I, but I really would – there would be other aspects of other experiences that I've had rather than recalling that night because that night was really weird. And that night made me feel like this is definitely real and – this is definitely something that I'm going to have to get used to. The, the The bigger picture just got so much bigger. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm going to go have to have to either go ahead and settle on being one of those people that constantly seeks it out and searches for it, or one of those people that's like, yeah, that's the thing that we have to live with. You know, mm-hmm. you know, some some people are totally able to live in haunted houses. I don't think I could do that. You know, <laughs> uh, because there would be this constant reminder that it's around you, and it's it's you know get out constantly yeah and you know i couldn't live with that Dude. but yeah the idea the idea that i don't have to look up every once in a while like i used to there, there are so many things that are in the sky now also so many things that are floating around up there that you know aren't uh that that would be easily explainable by our, our current you know knowledge of technology okay that's Mm-hmm. You know, this this planet or you're experiencing the International Space Station flyover or something like that. But sure. when it gets into when it gets into these 90 degree turns that these things are able to make at high altitudes, it's just like no human being could sustain the G forces in what we just experienced. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. just saw this thing going what hundreds of miles an hour and it stops on a dime and then turns and goes the same speed at a perpendicular direction is incredible. But like, yeah, that was. That those are things that we had the opportunity to experience when we were out on the road and that I've had the opportunity to experience. So. Dude, I find that an incredible lucky experience. Like, and, and I, and I ask these things, Jeff, too, is not as a, uh, a headline grabber or a, um, you know, a, a looking for the juicy tip, you know what I mean? That's not what this show's about. And, and, uh, uh, I just want to make sure that's known too, that it's not, you know what I mean? Where it's not, uh, yeah. it's not like the, the, Wow. Yeah, and 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 I also like the the way that like I used to love to go because you know I don't the, the fact is I've just never have been a big drinker. I drink every once in a while, you know, mm-hmm. a little gin and tonic or whatever. But I got you know when I was living in this other city, you know, years back um, before I moved here, I got so associated with this topic that I felt like I couldn't even go to parties anymore because anytime that I would go to a party, someone would be like. Hey, let's discuss this really, you know, morbid and edgy and kind of creepy topic in this room full of people when we should be actually celebrating and partying because we're together. And, you know, yeah. so that's one of the reasons why, you know, like if, if folks say that I'm the alien, the guy that got abducted by aliens, I really hope that it it, it would have, have tuned them a little bit more into finding out more about it rather than yeah. just being being a uh you know, like, I don't, I don't want to bring everybody in the room down with the, the conversation. So it's, it's, for me, it's like the, the, yes, they exist. Hey, what are you going to do about it? Kind of thing. So, yeah. 
yeah, I've been seeing just so much stuff. I mean, lately with the with the stuff Tom DeLonge's been doing. It, like, I don't know if you listen to like Joe Rogan or anything or anything like that with podcasts, but uh, there's just so. And then the the uh, the Bob Lazar stuff, that documentary that came out. Like, it seems like it's starting to come back out again a lot more. Where we used to listen to Coast to Coast on tour at night every on the night. night drives and we every heard night. That, that art bell how, how let me ask you how many people that you've interviewed on your podcast have mentioned uh george nori or art bell oh several several Dude, not a ton I, I but several say, i gotta say there's 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 this subculture of guys that lived on tour and continue to live on tour that listen to coast to coast i love that yeah. so much <laughs> yes it was awesome for the all night. It's what drives. got us through. We, oh I would God. never, I would have fallen asleep behind the wheel so many times had it not been for it. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, that's another thing. It's like, maybe what I'm getting to with the whole, like, not, it's not something that I don't want to talk about. It's just something that if once you're associated with the idea that, Hey, that's the person who had a, you know, a crazy paranormal experience. It kind of, it's hard to trump that when it comes to getting things accomplished that are bigger and better. So uh -huh. I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, like with code seven, it seemed as silly as it might say, it seemed like the right thing to do to talk about those topics at the time on the rescue. Mm -hmm. And that's what that whole album was about. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you've experienced something profound and I, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, uh, it's just a it's just a cool thing to think about, you know, and, and uh, I appreciate the the, um, you know, the sharing what you did, because it's I mean, that's a huge thing. Like you said, it's when you try to compare things and then like look at life through that lens again, you know, it's when something has some someone has something profound happen to them. It can change everything. So, yeah, um, yeah. And, and and I think that that everybody has the opportunity to experience it in, in their own way, in their own time, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I want to I want to I mean, I want to jump off that. And I, I mean, one other thing I was really curious about with you, Jeff, is is where you found your voice, because your voice is very unique and you just have a really interesting style. I mean, it's just uh, from from watching you live. I saw you live at that club we were talking about in, in your town there. Right. And then missed you guys at Furnace Fest, got handed the CD. Next time I actually saw you guys was at that club. And then I saw you guys again here in Portland at a club called um, the uh, uh, it was called either the B Complex or Meow Meow at the time. Um, and those are the only two times I've seen you guys live. But when when I do, I'm just captivated by your performance and your voice. And I'm just curious, you know, when you started to develop that and find that you had a voice for one and what influenced you uh, as a as a singer, because like I said, it's very unique. So all this kind of ties together on the kind of um, uh, the fact that there's not a lot out there about you to look and kind of tie the pieces together. So that's why I'm glad we're talking. But dig into that a bit for me if you can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for the kind words because I feel that um, my modesty sometimes prevents me from appreciating uh the things that the band was able to accomplish so that really means a lot i think that my biggest influences were um you know i think when we first started out i was really into thrash and like you know bands like anthrax and you know, corrosion of conformity and we were really heavy mm -hmm. and you know like the whole time i'd been like 
since I was a kid, I've been listening to like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and things like that. But when it came around to it, you know, like I, I was, I was not going to be able to continue to scream like Tom Araya from Slayer in the Angel of Death intro. But <laughs> I could get, you know, I could get like phonetics out. I could get like uh, layering and harmonies done when the recording came about. And I kind of like the idea that that there are so many vocalists out there that push the boundaries. So I just tried to emulate those vocalists. You know, I'm I'm not completely uh, convinced that that I will at any given moment if I've been listening to a lot of Portishead that I won't try to sing like Beth Gibbons the next time that I get on the microphone, but that has a lot to do with it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. like there, there's this great, um, Arthur Conan Doyle story about this guy who's having, he's, he's writing a, a novel and he's having this crisis of writer's block. That's just killing him. And he falls asleep, but doesn't realize that he's fallen asleep. He just looks up and basically he's at this dinner banquet with all the great Victorian era authors of, you know, all great English literature and he's having these conversations and the, the process, it becomes this idea at the end of the story that these other uh, greats of English literature, like Charles Dickens, and, you know, so, so many HG Wells, all these, so many others, they're arguing amongst themselves. So the guy who's the center of the story just decides, Hey, I'm, I'm just going to write the book the way that I want to write it. I'm not going to try to emulate your voices. So I think that that's kind of way, you know, maybe where, um, uh, my influence ends is, you know, what was I listening to the last time around whenever, because, you know, so many of these things, this guy starts out the story by saying, I don't want to read the classics anymore. I've read them all. You know, I know each author's voice, but for a singer, every time you get on the microphone, if you've been listening to nothing but, you know, like say Bjork, you mentioned Bjork, if I've been listening, I'm, you know, I'm going to try to do something stupid. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I can honestly say the influences uh, for me, um, they were pretty vast. And if I thought something sounded like it should be sung a certain way, when it came to the fact that, you know, we, I, I, I did so little preparation leading up to time in the studio that I felt like winging it was all I did. And that just, you know, like that, that I feel like that weighed on the band a lot, but at the same time, you know, like there's some, some magic in there. So. Well, did you do, when you say winging it like that, where, where are you talking, uh, uh, dancing echoes? Oh, I like that, uh, that was, late in the game? Uh, every time that we went into the studio, I just, I was probably just this traveling minstrel of a person who just had absolutely no clue where it was going to go next, you know? So Are I think serious? that that's, that's, oh yeah. That, yeah. Those, the vocals on that record, the, the, the melodies on that record stick in my heart. Like they, like they stick with me because it's stuff I talk about this every once in a while. There's like a, I think it's called a resolution of melody where uh, like a, a melody goes a certain place and, and it, it resolves itself by hitting the same spot to like finish it off. The route you go is so interesting. I can't even like a lot of times I'll listen to a record and I can finish the line, the chorus, the first time I hear the song because I know where that singer's going to go. But with you, I can't do that. And even sometimes afterwards, like later, years later, I've spent so much time with those records that that uh, 
I'm still hearing things I didn't hear the first time. And the way you get there is so interesting. That's why it's so messed up to hear that you're just (laughs) flying by the seat of your pants creating this stuff because it's so, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's so cool because I've experienced the same thing that you just mentioned about hearing something new for the first time. Um, You know, that that lack of preparedness on my part was shaped a lot by the experience that that I would have been having at the time. For example, the Dancing Echoes album was recorded in Woodstock, New York, and um, Mike Birnbaum's daughter, she was a, you know, she was a little kid. She would come around every once in a while uh, to, uh, to just, I guess, you know, he introduced us to her. She must have been like all like five or six, maybe. I'm not even sure. But like um, this entire process of us recording that album the only thing that i found i found this piece of wood and the only thing i could keep on my mind was like i want to carve this piece of wood so it's something really cool so i can give to mike and his daughter and you know like the lyrics that were written uh, on that album were like sort of you know like things that i brought with me and things that i had like kind of like shaped on these you know walks around his property up there in this beautiful countryside of Socrates, New York, just all around this farm, just walking around, writing what was coming to me. And I think that that when it comes to the, the conversation of actual melodies on the record, uh, a lot of that can be explained. You know, I, it was we had some really cool experiences. Mike Birnbaum gave me some absinthe while we were up there. And, and you know, I just tried to make it the, the recording vocal booth just as cool as it could possibly be and as comfortable as it could possibly be and just tried to be myself. I mean, man, that's yeah. But um, the the entire time, nothing was on my mind except I want to carve this piece of wood so that it kind of like <laughs> is in the shape of something, you know. But like that 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 was, um, you know, a lot of the ways that that I would write vocals were like, what would I want to hear, you know? Like what where do I think this is supposed to go? And you know, I think following your heart when you're a musician is a pretty difficult thing to do when everyone's screaming in your ear telling you, either get it done or they're saying it has to be this way or why don't we sound like that? You know, there was none of that in code seven. Those guys were always so great and so supportive. They hated the fact that I was actually doing it all in, in the studio. Uh-huh. But prior to, you know, I didn't have the means. I didn't have a, um, like a little recording setup so that I could do my own things, you know, my own vocal parts or whatever. Um, I just didn't seek out the technology prior to most of the time. It was just myself and a notebook in the vocal booth. And plenty of coffee, yeah. plenty of coffee. And, and like I said, a little bit of absinthe every once in a while. That was really chill. I felt like an old English gentleman. I was a cool motherfucker. <laughs> Dude, that's see, that's the cool thing. These are the cool stories that like, you know, I never would have put that together. I would have thought so much time and effort went into creating these. I mean, the, the other cool thing about your voice, too, and not to kiss your ass more, but uh I love that you can go from you can go from just like the the most like peaceful like falsetto ish vocal into like uh there's so many different levels but then you can get into this really commanding powerful uh like croon and then back out I mean you can go anywhere you want it seems like like it, it all seems to happen at just the right times you know and and uh your voice changes of course in these different modes, but it's almost like different characters. Like it's this cool, you know, in this three or four minute span of time, listening to someone hash out an idea for one, but then being 
a few different characters along the way with this huge, like really bass driven band that's colored with all these beautiful, you know, guitar. And that's the first time I saw the Roland, uh, the MIDI controller on the, on the guitars though, was with you guys, um, oh, like cool. duct, yeah. tape, duct tape to them. It's the <laughs> yeah. first time I was like, where the fuck is this piano coming from? And yeah. Paul, Colin's like, dude, it's on the guitar. That's a guitar pickup. I was like, are you kidding me? I looked down at the, at the, at the pedal board. I'm like, holy shit. So like all these different things I discovered through code seven, of course, but the fact that you have that much, you know, control and that it's so, it almost is refreshing to hear that it was on the fly because it makes it that more special. Like those, those happy accidents, you know, or, uh, you know, you got like a course to go through and maybe you made like world record time, but if you really fidgeted with it, you probably would have fallen off the bridge, you know, like you just blast through and it's all real, all like, you know, genuine output. I'm just random. Have you, ha, no, have you ever seen a performer on stage and you can just tell they're not second guessing themselves? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I really, that is something of, that is magical in my opinion. And I think that there's a lot of those, a lot of the confidence that came from, from any of those vocal parts that might have that much like, uh, fluctuation in them, uh, was, I won't say it was purely accidental, but I was just trusting my gut and that it could work. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I, I did what I've often found was that like, there were so many times that I couldn't go back and listen to the things that we had recorded because my brain would be, Oh, why didn't I do it this way? Or, you know, it just had to be, you know, like a, a, a situation where I wasn't, it wasn't that I wasn't proud of what I'd done. It's just that I didn't want to reflect on perhaps the mistakes that I felt that I had made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and there's, a, there's a good example of that in a, a, a live performance that we apparently did uh, somewhere in New Jersey. And, you know, the band's manager was with us at the time, John Bambino, and he, he can, he can recount the story too. I don't think he knows how it uh, panned out subsequently, but like, he had recorded the show that night. He had recorded our performance and I was just so, so not with it, not feeling, I was just so lukewarm. I was just so not feeling it. And I went out to the van and I just like curled up in the back with a blanket and I just like stewed in my own misery for the entire time that it took us to get back to the hotel room where the plan was we're going to watch the video of tonight's performance we're going to hook it up to the little rca jack or whatever uh-huh. watch the video and i was like fuck no i'm not doing that you know and i like stormed out like stood out in the parking lot wherever it was for the amount of time for them to watch this video just completely convinced that i had screwed it all up that it was just a botched performance and it was horrible and you know that was that so like we're you know, get back off that tour, maybe a year or two later, I was in the band where the band was living and I was in our living room and it was like looking through some VHS tapes or something like that. These small little VHS converter tapes. And I recognized one of them was from that particular performance and I put it in and I watched it and Dewey, man, I kicked so much ass. It was so <laughs> great. I am so proud of that. And I don't think that there are anything there's, I don't think that there's anything else that I could possibly explain to the way that, that I feel about a lot of what code seven has done. Other than that, like if, if you were to put it on, I might go back and say, Hey, that, that part was really cool. I really like what guitars are doing there. The drums are amazing right there. And that just, I mean, that's how I kind of view my time with code seven. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, I really think that like 
if you were at a party and someone put it on and be like, Hey, I've heard that before. Ha 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 ha. But if it were anything other than code seven, I would be constantly immersed in the music, talking to people about the music, like talking to people about this new, you know, whatever album that we're listening to and completely like listening to it. Like, you know, how jazz critics listen to music, uh-huh. you know, with like with my ear against the speaker. Yeah. And, 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 I can't be critical of code seven stuff without having this idea of, damn it. We could have done it so much better if we'd had the technology at the time. <laughs> Dude, that's incredible. I, I, Oh man, I am Jeff. I, I gotta tell you, man, I am so stoked uh, to get to speak to you, man. This is, this is awesome. And I, how do you feel? Do you feel good? I mean, you don't do. Dude, I'm so happy. I'm so delighted that we got good audio quality because we started talking about ghosts and then there was a ghost in the machine and you you know, the sound quality cut out. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking ghosts. Fucking ghosts. But, uh, dude, I've, I've had you on the phone for an hour and 20 minutes, man. I, I just, I really appreciate the time. Um, I know I say it all the time. My listenership will know that, but, uh, I, I mean, time is so valuable and I appreciate, you know, spending the time with you and, and hearing these stories and getting your perspective on things and, and, you know, well, hearing dude, I would love, I would love to send you a gadget. So like, uh, text me your address and I'll send you a, a little homemade, uh, circuit bank gadget. I gave Steve, uh, from circuit survive uh-huh. one of my cooler speaking spells when, uh, when we were out on tour with one of them, it was a speaking spell that you could you can modify it with an old school Nintendo controller. You'll have to, if oh, you ever interview. Rad. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would love to send you something just sure. as an, uh, um, an offering of appreciation for allowing me to participate today. Cause this has been one of the coolest things I've done in a long time. So thank you, man. Thank Dude, you so much. That means so much to me, man. Thank you so much. And, and, uh, like I say, your, your contribution to music is huge to me. Like I've, I've spent so much time, with those records and, and I mean, those songs get stuck in my head and, you know, I play them at where I played them, you know, this last week before we got shut down at work, just blaring, blaring them over the the speaker. I'm a commercial plumber now. So it, big construction sites, building these hotels and stuff. And it's just resonating through the whole, we have this, this hotel we're building right now. That's got an atrium in the middle, eight floors up. So it's like, it looks like Alcatraz because it's all, you know, it's just studs right now, but the sound carries and hits the glass up top and comes back down. And, uh, I mean, the music sounds great and it's, it's so cool to hear it that way. Uh, you know, people ask me, people are like, what the hell is this? Or they'll ask me about it and like, who is this? You know, cause it's construction. So it's a lot of like, like, uh, not the, the biggest music fans in the world, but yeah, you know, it's special to me and it's, it's, and I'm, I'm just so, I'm so stoked, man. I I appreciate it so much. Very cool. But, uh, I will text you the address and, uh, I'll be in touch on when this is coming out and everything else. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I just appreciate the time, man. I, I feel, I feel, uh, lucky to, to have you in this form. You know what I mean? It doesn't happen very often. I do. I always appreciate that from, aside from people that do interviews every week or every day, you know? Um, it's a big deal. 
I appreciate well, it. Well, you, you, you are an, you are an amazing interviewer and I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. That's so cool. Awesome. So kind of you. Thank you so I'll much. I'll talk to you too. soon. All right. All right, and Give me that, give me that address. Tell your, uh, and I want your listeners, all you guys go and press your finger against one ear and then push the other ear against the bridge. You'll really enjoy what you hear. Change your life. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, man. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Bye. Take care. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Jenkins from Code 7, one of my all-time favorite bands, all-time favorite frontmen. Uh, go get that record. Don't sleep on this. It has not, not been pressed until now. It is out now on Ecovision. Uh, Dancing Echoes, Dead Sounds. And like I said, I have it in my living room. Sitting on the record player currently. I've been listening to it this week. It's glorious. It's beautiful. And uh, yeah, you need to do that. So uh, big shout out to Jeff for coming on. I know he was nervous to come on board, but we made it happen. And I think it came out pretty damn good. Um, apologies for some of the audio. There's, I think there's a lot of birds uh, chirping and, and outside noises, but uh, I think you guys got the gist of it. And uh, that's the thing with some of these podcasts. Sometimes if someone's outside or things you don't uh, foresee, uh, it can be a little distracting, but I think this one came out pretty good. So uh, anyways, hit me up if you think differently. Hit me up if you've got guest ideas and things you want to hear. Uh, check out peerpleasurepodcast.com. Check out peerpleasurepod at gmail. Dot com if you want to get in touch with me uh, and let me know, hey, your audio sucks, or hey, I just bought the new Code 7 record and it's badass. Anyways, big things coming this month, guys. I am so stoked to talk to you about them when I can, and uh, yeah, thanks for coming back week after week. It's been a rough couple weeks with loss and bad news and things like that, and uh, this show really keeps me going, and knowing you guys are out there and getting all the comments and messages really helps out and uh yeah so and also go check out uh john clardy's gofundme uh he is fighting cancer right now from Terramelos. one of my good buddies and one of my favorite guests on the show the gofundme is in my instagram uh in my instagram uh bio and uh click on that link and go throw some money at him because he is fighting a battle guys and and i fuck i don't know how people you know get through that um i don't know how what it's like to be told that kind of information uh that you have cancer especially at such a young age but man he is fighting he is positive and uh he's gonna beat this thing and we can help him get there so head on over and send some money to john uh just a fantastic individual he's he's one of the best drummers i've ever seen and uh i think you guys will agree if you don't know who he is john clardy from terra Mellos, go check it out and uh if he's inspired you in any way or gotten you through some things help him through as well all right, guys. I love each and every one of you. Thanks for coming back week after week. Stay tuned. Next week, we got more awesome stuff coming. Big thanks to Jeff. Go get the Code 7 record at Equalvision.com. And as always, we'll see you on the radio.
Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. 